Welcome to Unedited, our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing, brought to you by myself, Grace Hill, and Diana Bang. From fashion, beauty, and homeware, Grace and I will cover industry topics and shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. Diana, how are you doing? How are things at your end? I'm good. I watched Hamilton, so I've just been raving about that to my friends. You know, they have the original cast on Disney Plus and they're filming it on stage. I saw it in the theater as well, and I can't even express like how amazing it is to watch it from home. So I don't know what that going to do with the theater experience, but it was yeah, incredible. What about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I have not been watching Hamilton. I'm embarrassed to admit that I've not seen it at the theater or on Disney Plus. Probably one of the few people that hasn't taken a Disney Plus subscription out since the start of lockdown, but there's always time if there's a second wave. But yeah, I have been going, you know, I guess seeing friends at a social distance and trying to kind of support local restaurants now that they've been able to open back up and eat outside and things like that, which has been really strange, but really lovely at the same time to kind of have those first, you know, elements of normality. But we will see how things go as we progress in the in the summer. So what are we talking about on today's episode? So as we enter this new era of retail, we're going to be talking about what are the key trends to be aware of and what have we learned from past recessions as well. To help discuss today's topic, we have Joe Aliardi, CRO here at Edited. Joe, we're thrilled to have you on the podcast. Welcome. How are you doing in New Jersey? Well, I am thrilled to be here. It's a privilege to be on. You you both do a phenomenal job. I've been catching up, being new to edited, catching up to the podcasts, and it's a great opportunity to be on. So things in New Jersey are, you know, like everywhere else in the world, not yeah. normal, not normal. But, you know, we're doing well. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty large population of cases being a suburb of New York, but we're coming back strong. So uh, everything is going well. Well, that's great. And so glad to hear that you're doing good. And we'd love to hear more about how you got into the industry and and your previous roles for joining us at Edited. Absolutely. So, uh, So I've been in the software space for probably over 20 years. And I would say that that brought me into retail probably about 14 years ago and had an opportunity to really get into retail around Omnichannel and driving a lot of solutions to retailers that were embarking on the omni-channel journey early on. And, you know, ever since then, I've been touching everything from MarTech and marketing technology for retailers to omni-channel and e-commerce, and now to market intelligence. So it's been a good journey, and I've been able to see a lot of growth and evolution in the space from a lot of different perspectives, from, again, marketing and e-commerce and operations. So it's been quite a journey. It's great that you've had that experience with retail and tech, and it'd be great to hear more about the role of a CRO. What are the responsibilities that that involves? Yeah, so chief revenue officer kind of explains everything in that I, I do have responsibility here within Edited for revenue and all revenue in the company globally. What that means is that I manage all of the go-to-market functions of the company and, and have a lot of input into how Edited will go to market the strategy development around that. So that includes sales and running the team that helps us to acquire new customers. But probably more importantly, and I think more rewarding, is having the ability to not only bring on new customers, but 
also uh, have responsibility for the team that manages our customer relationships. And that is where I would say it's most impactful because, you know, our customers are extremely important to us. The relationship that we have with them initially and then build over time and mature really, you know, I look at those as partnerships and having an opportunity to make sure that we are driving measurable value to our customers through the use of edited is important. And being able to see them come through that journey is really a rewarding process. So Definitely. I know, I think speaking from Diane and, and I's perspective, working with our customers is such a rewarding part of our roles. And for any of our listeners listening, Joe is, is Diana and I's big boss. So the pressure is on today with this recording. <laughs> So, how have you seen the retail industry develop and evolve throughout your career? So, as I was saying in in the kind of my my journey in retail space, I was had the opportunity that I thought was uh, very fascinating for me of seeing the birth of omnichannel. Yeah. So that dates back, in my experience, at least to two thousand four or five, and having an opportunity to see retailers and those who led the charge around omnichannel. So I think about my role was primarily U.S., but I think about companies like Lowe's, Best Buy, Circuit City was a company that unfortunately didn't survive, but was part of that initial, really, you know, kind of the the tip of the arrow around driving omnichannel. And it started with just very simple opportunities of buying online and being able to pick up in store and seeing retailers struggle with simple problems back then, mm-hmm. like literally seeing retailers not be able to go forward with an omnichannel project because they couldn't figure out who was going to get compensated within the retail organization for a sale where it was made online, but picked up in the store. Does the store get commission for it or does the online get credit for it? Yeah. And that I saw retailers literally stop projects in their tracks. It wouldn't go any further because they couldn't figure that problem out. And, you know, to see that now today where that's no longer an issue, retailers have solved that and omnichannel and being able to do things like Bopus and Boss are just table stakes and, and retailers have to do that. So seeing that maturity and seeing the evolution of where that has come has been just a great experience. And then, you know, I had the opportunity of when I was with IBM of being in their Watson customer engagement business. And with Watson being such a a focus around AI, seeing the ability to bring AI into the MarTech space, you know, for marketers to really start to drive decisions based on AI and based on, you know, deep analytics and insights and having some of those decisions made for them and recommendations made for them. Again, seeing retail evolve from a different perspective but starting to see AI be consumed in that industry was a great experience as well. So just seeing evolution of those two things has been, you know, retailers are, you know, persevere. They're tough, right? And they're, and they're agile and they know how to adapt. And I think it's, it's apropos for where we are today in the world and because they're going to have to do it again. So. So interesting how much has changed. I worked for a tech company before and we always used to talk about how the first online retail site was actually by Pizza Express and they would have almost like you could order pizzas. You would just say, I want to order one pizza and then they would call you back so you could (laughs) complete the order. And that was the first ever kind of transaction online that they had. But so much, like you said, has changed. And I know also, you know, 
looking back at 2008, when we had the global financial crisis, that had a major impact on retail back then. So Mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to hear how do those challenges differ to what we're facing at retail now? Yeah, that's a great question. And, And I think that there's absolutely always lessons to be learned. And I think that as I look back and I lived through that time uh, and actually had a role at the time of running North American sales for a technology company. And so having to deal with that all of a sudden in 2008 was quite an experience. But we were, again, in kind of in the heart of selling to retailers at the time. And, you know, I I think tied into my comments about things like Omnichannel and MarTech and so forth, retailers back then, I think, had far fewer options in terms of how to pivot how to adjust, how to continue to drive revenue, right, during that crisis. So like I said, Omnichannel back then was just kind of getting going. So the concept of like buy online, pick up in store, buy online, ship from store, curbside pickup, right, Mm -hmm. just wasn't, I mean, there were some retailers doing it, but not doing it real effectively. And a lot of retailers weren't doing it. Ecom at the time was nowhere near as big a channel or as an advance of a channel as it is today, right? So what do you do if you're a retailer, right? If you don't have the infrastructure and the sophistication on your on your digital site to go drive revenue, all you have is the store, you know, what options do you really have? And how do you more effectively pivot, right? In terms of adapting to that new norm at the time. I think today, retailers have just an abundance of options available to them to help them to close the gap that's being forced on them, you know, around the current pandemic. So that's one of the things that I think that I saw as a difference between then and now is just the sophistication of how retailers go to market and their ability to adapt to that situation. I'm just thinking like, imagine if we were in the situation that we are in now where stores had to physically close and retailers have an e-commerce site. Like, that would have yeah. been a serious issue. Absolutely. No shopping at all. How? No, nothing. I know. Right. Oh, my goodness. So it would be great to talk about any successful strategies that you saw mm. that were implemented by retailers who weathered the storm of the 2008 global crisis really well. You know, I always think yeah. of the example of the Kindle that was born, you know, an innovation product that was born during that crisis. But yeah, I'd love to hear from you on that. Yeah, I mean, so if I think back and look at retailers that, you know, for the most part, focused internally a bit and use that opportunity, right? Because there was a heavy decline in terms of business levels and revenues and things of that nature, but use that as an opportunity to strategically get their house in order. And how do I come out of this stronger, right? And if the outlook is we will bounce back, things will come back around businesses will be, you know, back 100% again, how do we put ourselves in a better position to take advantage of that opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Almost to a sense that there would be some pent up demand and how do we take advantage of that effectively? And so I think back to that, the companies that I was, had the opportunity of dealing with back then, people like Abercrombie & Fitch, Urban Outfitters, Lowe's here in the US that really invested in technology, number one. Mm -hmm. And so that could have been things like, you know, order management systems that enable them to really execute on omni-channel strategies could have been more capabilities around digital. So not only being able to do e-com more effectively, but how do I start to get into mobile capabilities, et cetera. 
and, you know, making bold choices, right? And being able to adapt, invest in technologies that put them in a position to really take advantage of the market once it did come back. And you look at those companies today and they're all doing extremely well and they did extremely well coming out of 2008 and 2009. Mm. It's interesting, yeah, because they almost forced them, like you say, to think, be more bold and, and think more mm-hmm. of what next. And I guess if we fast forward now to 12 years later to COVID how, and how that's forced brands to rely heavily on their e-commerce strategies, which we've spoken about already, and also having to change their internal work structures It'd be great to hear more about this, but also other impacts that the pandemic has had. Yeah. So as I look at the current situation and the unfortunate outcomes, right? We see a number of retailers who filed for Chapter 11 that, you know, I think again, you know, when I think of the likes of a J. Crew, a Cena, et cetera, that I believe will come out of this stronger, you know, post the pandemic. These are companies that that have a a strong foundation, have a really strong brand, and will survive. But when when you look at the pandemic, I always look at it and think it accelerated the transformation, right? So everyone has always talked about this transformation of brick and mortar to digital. And I think that we were on a path that was kind of death by a thousand paper cuts, right? And unfortunately, or fortunately, I think the pandemic came in and said, okay, if you're going to come out of this, you better adjust. And you better transform now. And so companies that have been able to adapt to that, companies that maybe were on that journey already, that were able to fast forward through that and be in a position today where they have a robust digital experience and really transfer the customer experience from in-person, in-store to digital. The companies that have been able to do that and adjust to that and accelerate that transformation, I think the ones that are will do well, will survive this, and will come out similar to 2008 and 2009, stronger. I think that that transformation, though, forces retailers, number one, to be bold and to be agile. And I think in doing that, they have to start to rely more on data and AI and be able to be in a position where, I'll give you an example. I was on with it this morning, actually. And this is a brand that is extremely agile, makes decisions very rapidly, and is very high touch in terms of assessing the market, right? Getting feedback around products and then adapting to that. They do that and have done that traditionally face-to-face. So as the individual said to me, you know, the inability for them to travel internationally, to be in market and understand what's going on and being able to make decisions based on that is a problem. Right. So how, how do you how do you get that data accurately on a real time basis? How do you apply some intelligence around AI to that data? Right. Because now we have to do more with less. That's where the position we're going to be in, because you can't slow down. You have to speed up. And so I have less access to the market, less access to what's going on in the field. I don't have as many people, but I got to move faster. And I think data combined with AI capabilities today, help retailers to be able to make that make those decisions and live in that world going forward. And then the last thing I would say is that I think that customer experience, when the stores do come back, right? I think the key is that the customer experience in the store has to be such that it lures consumers back into the store. Consumers aren't going to go back into the store just to look through racks. 
right? So you better have something in the store that brings them back into the store and, and, you know, forces them to come back. Definitely. Especially when they've been, you know, as you said, forced to shop from home, you know, and they've right. come to realize, you know, the ease and the convenience of online shopping, you know, what's going to force them to get back into those stores. But I think as well, it's so interesting when you're talking about obviously travel restrictions and mm-hmm. how you would travel and, and find this information out. And now that that's not possible and you're having to mm. do more with less and the importance of data. I think back to my old job when we would travel and we would go to different mm. cities to pick up market trends or, you know, look at the latest styles that were in certain stores like that. Right. Old way of working is probably not going to exist any longer. Exactly right. Exactly right. So when we're looking at some other data from sources, so in May, non-store sales accounted for 33% of all retail in the UK, which was a 19.7% month-over-month growth, according to the mm-hmm. Office of National Statistics. So do you think that COVID is the sole driver of the enormous growth rate for e-commerce, or do you think we'll revert back to the growth levels that we saw prior to COVID? So I do think that e-commerce growth, recent growth, the acceleration of that growth has been driven by the pandemic. I mean, I think that, I think I read recently where it would have taken something like four to six years to get to the levels we saw in May if e-com had grown its normal pace, you know, over the last few years. So when you think about that, there has to be some external force that drove that growth and accelerated that growth. You know, I, I think that the pandemic has done that. Again, going back to my point earlier, if the pandemic has accelerated the transformation from brick and mortar to online, then I think a lot of that growth will remain, but I don't think it will remain completely because I do think, again, I think that retailers are tough, right? And they will adapt, right? They've done that from the start of time, you know, when you think about depressions and recessions and, you know, wars and things of that nature, they will do the same now, right? And, you know, I think about, as an example, not maybe somewhat consumer-based industry, right, is when Netflix introduced all of the streaming capabilities. And it was like, wow, what's, what's this, what's this going to do? And, and movie companies and theaters, movie theaters really were threatened by this. And, and everyone talked about the death of the movie theater. You know, what did they do? They went and they added luxury seating. They added reserve seating. They added food. They added beverages, right? They created this different experience in the theater that everyone, go, I go to the theater now. I still go to the movie theater, right? You know, I can probably get everything I need on my computer or on my TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they adjusted to that. And and I think retailers would do the same. You know, I think that concept of creating that experience in store. I was once had the opportunity of being at a great, great retailer up in Canada's Canadian Tire. And they had a their sports division. And we went to one of their stores in Edmonton. And, and I've never seen a store that had, you know, such a experience. They actually had a rock climbing wall tread. So you could climb a tread. So you can climb, like they would turn it on and the wall would run like a treadmill. And you could climb up the wall and test the climbing shoes, right? They had treadmills, right? Everything that you would want to do to really change that experience. You think of things like, 
you know, Bass Pro and those types of uh, companies that you can go get in a canoe and go out in a pond that they have and test it. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that I think the retailers will adapt and they will create experiences in the store that you will want to go and and explore, right? And that's how they'll get people back in the store. And I think that's where it will balance out a little bit. Uh, but I still think, it, you know, the other part about e-com growth is the the sheer explosion of mobile and the ease of which we can buy stuff. I think that people are experiencing that and that's probably driving them to, you know, stick to that digital side as well. Mm. I keep thinking back to, you know, when Sir Tim Berners-Lee started the World Wide Web, he did it so that mm. it free, freely available to everyone. And I think mm-hmm. with the 2008 crash and what we're going through now, you know, none of this would have been able to be done in this way if it wasn't for mm-hmm. that being free and being able to be creative, like you said. So right. yeah, it's it's really interesting to to see how they've used that to their advantage. But I guess from yep. what you're talking about, this is kind of the million dollar question <laughs> uh, about how has, how is COVID it's more like a hundred billion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always thinking of business ideas on these podcasts, but has COVID changed consumer behavior forever? And what will be the new normal from your point of view? Well, so I'm an optimist. So I would say, you know, if I had to give a definitive answer, I would say, no, I don't think it's changed it forever. And I'm an optimist and I, and I believe that eventually, whether that's probably not 2021, maybe, but maybe 2022, things will get back to normal. And in terms of what the new normal will be at that point, I'm, again, I'm optimistic that it's the normal that was before the pandemic. I think that as a global community, I think that we'll look at that and say, okay, this is something that can now could be a reality for us in the future and be able to, again, respond to that more effectively in the future if it were to come up again. And I think countries will be able to be more alert as to, you know, keeping an eye on pandemics in the future and how to adjust faster. Mm-hmm. But I think and hope that we will get back to, you know, flying around and going to malls and going to stores and, and doing what we normally were doing before. Again, I think that coming out of this, how retailers are doing business, I think how they run the company will change. I don't think the consu- I think the consumer experience so far through this pandemic has forced that change again, that accelerated transformation. But I do think that you know consumer behavior will get back to normal eventually. But I think retailers will will adapt and they will operate differently. Right? Again, I think that they will see that new competitors can pop up anywhere in the world. That it's a global market. You know, how do I adjust rapidly? How do I keep my finger on the pulse of trends and, you know, activities that are happening in market that are affecting me and my relationship with the consumer? And how do I adjust faster? And they'll have to use different technologies to do that, have to use different processes to do that. But in terms of the consumer behavior, I don't think it'll change forever. So we've spoken a lot about kind of the impact of COVID-19 on global retail, but we'd love to discuss what would you say are the key learnings from the past four months? And I mean, I would love to start with the fact that 60% of large global organizations have identified new processes will need to be implemented post outbreak. And how can data support changes in processes and structures? So, I mean, similar to the example I was just referring to with the brand I was talking on the phone with this morning, who, you know, is US based, right? You know, for, for starters, I think retailers have pretty much have been forced to stop all of that 
market data gathering that retailers traditionally have done. Yeah. So whether it's competitive shopping, you know, to your to your point earlier, Grace, right? Going into a city, going into a market with a team of people and flooding that market and talking to customers who are coming into the store and really, you know, tangibly putting their finger on the market and putting their finger on the pulse of the market. Mm-hmm. That's been shut off. Additionally, I think, you know, if you think about the timeline and the flow of bringing product to market and bringing product in store and stocking stores, right? And inventory turnover in store mm-hmm. online, that is a short process, considerably shorter, right? So I think that retailers right now, as, we, as I talk to retailers today, they're really in a position where they need to move faster. They need to move faster with less resources available to them. And so they are reaching out to folks like Edited and looking at opportunities of, you know, how do we replicate the processes that we used to do that were very manual intensive yeah. digitally, right? How do we adapt to that? So that's one of, that's one of the things that I, I think retailers are looking to achieve today. And I think the lesson that they're learning is that, you know, the process that they had for really keeping their finger on the pulse and, and, and being able to analyze the market, competitive trends, et cetera, mm-hmm. was not the best process for them, right? So, And in many cases, we know, you know, sadly, you know, businesses have had to put many staff on furlough or, or made redundancies. To be able to continue with that existing process that was very manual is going to be increasingly more difficult with fewer members of the team and, and men on the ground, as it were. Mm-hmm. A lot of workload for the one, the people who are taking on that while other people on furlough. In our recent report on the new era of retail, we discussed the huge potential for value creation um, in retail that emerged from past crises. Could you tell us more about value creation and the opportunities from the past as well? Yeah. So, you know, when I think of value creation, I think that that manifests itself in either increased revenue, right, or new channels of revenue or better margins, right? And so, you know, that's value creation. And so I think when you look at the past crises and you apply it to where we are today, as I said before, you know, retailers that capitalized on that were able to find new opportunities. You know, they reacted to those changes and were able to adapt. So, for example, and especially with the accelerated transformation to digital, if you think about that opportunity, and this is something retailers had done in the past, but now maybe doing it to a greater extent, is I can add a whole new product line. I can enter an entirely new market as a retailer Mm -hmm. online. I don't have to carry any inventory. I could do third-party dropship, third-party logistics, right? I can use the brand that I've created, the customer base that I have, and offer this whole new channel of revenue opportunity for me. Now, to do that, I probably have to invest in some new technology, right? That new technology, number one, better give me deep insight into that market, right? Because it's going to cost me money. I don't want to be subjected to a gut level decision. Or again, with the restrictions we have on really going out and exploring a market, I got to have data available to me in my fingertips across my entire organization so that we can come together rapidly and make a decision and go to market and execute. Mm-hmm. So everything from design, planning, merchandising, buying, e-com, marketing, et cetera, 
better be able to have a clear picture of the market opportunity and then go drive a decision there. So, you know, that that data could tell me things about who's in the market today, what the optimal pricing looks like, where does that have to drive my margin opportunity? Could be trend analysis on what's going on. Is there really a market opportunity for me, right? So it's really looking at a number of different factors about going to market, but I can open up and create a whole new opportunity for me to capture value in the market as a retailer today in a fairly straightforward, easy way, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm bold, if I capitalize on technologies, if I'm willing to invest, if I'm willing to let data and AI help drive some of those decisions for me. Definitely. I know that's a key thing that Diana and I will work closely with our customer base on. You know, if they're looking to expand into new regions, I mean, there are so many cases of when retailers have got it wrong. So how can you get it right? You know, how can you make sure that your pricing strategy is right, that you're bringing those right products? You know, a classic case is outerwear, you know, for a new region, if you're entering into a colder climate, are you bringing that outerwear in at the right time? You know, there's no point in necessarily to your home region that you're from if the seasons are longer or shorter. So, no, absolutely. And in terms of kind of, we know that reimagining retail spaces and online innovation are key areas that retailers must invest in, but what Mm. other areas should retailers be considering, you know, kind of AI analytics, market data intelligence? It'd be great to talk about that further. Yeah, well, you know, I I think I've mentioned this a couple of times, right, just around obviously data, and I think AI kind of ties into that. I, I think what, you know, right now, I think the last kind of study I saw was something in the order of like, I don't know, less than 20% of retailers are using AI in the business today. And I, and I think having had experience with that in the past, I think one of the reasons that has occurred is that AI traditionally has been looked at as like a science experiment. So it sits in the data science organization somewhere buried deep in the bowels of a company. If I want to try to get anything useful out of that group, I have to tell them what I want. I have to wait a couple of weeks. I get something back. I don't like it. I got to give it back to them. That's not helping me move fast, right? And so I think that there's a concept that retailers need to think about of putting AI in the hands of the professional. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is how do I simplify, how do I use AI behind the scenes, but embed it in the everyday activities of a marketer or embed it in the everyday activities of a merchant or a buyer, right? Or a designer. So that I'm actually leveraging AI and I'm actually leveraging enhanced data assessment and analysis. And that's helping me and it's making recommendations for me and I'm basing my decisions on that. And I don't have to go run the science experiment, right? And take three weeks to get and feed my decision-making ability. So, you know, one of the things that I think that, and you two can speak to this better than I, right? Is I think the area, one of the areas that we thrive in that I'm always fascinated by and I think the customers that I've interacted with so far have been fascinated by is this, you know, unbelievable simplicity in which companies get access to this global sea of data that Edited provides on this platform in a very easy to use, simplistic way, right? So again, I think it's bringing AI to the professional that is uh, is a key uh, capability that retailers need to start to really leverage and embrace going forward. 
Mm. Yeah, and, and we've seen a lot, especially during COVID, a lot of changes of how retailers are using that data, especially in edited, you know, looking at the longevity of trends when it's a situation where there's so much change in the market. So key questions like how long will loungewear continue on with retailers? And is that going to, you know, feed into specific types of products where when we start to ease into lockdown, like, is that going to mm-hmm. continue? So, Using data to analyze what has happened in the past three months to forecast for future strategies. But, you know, we've spoken a bit about e-commerce. We've seen it grow 83% year on year back in May, while footfall jumped up 38.8% in the UK when they opened the stores on Monday, the 15th of June, Mm. went into H&M, which I spoke about in the last podcast. But what is the future? And you mentioned about omni-channel. What is the future of the omni-channel experience from your perspective? Yeah, I I think that, you know, again, retailers over the years have invested a lot in what they thought omni-channel was. And it's it's interesting. We we would always, especially in the beginning of that process, retailers would talk about channels. And as as you all know, you know, you you worked for retailers, right? And experienced this like evolution of, you know, merchandising that would have kind of a line for in-store. And then online, there'd be a merchandiser had a line for digital. Right. And a lot of retailers that I saw was a transformation of no, we're going to create merchandising departments that are aligned across any channel. Right. And we would always say that we talk about channels. The customer just wants a brand experience. Right. They they don't know they don't get what channels mean. They don't even if you think about it as a as a consumer, I don't use the word channel. I need something. I'm going to go to the retailer who I'm loyal to. And if I can get it fast, when I need it, how I need it, return it where I need it, I think are key. I think the return aspect of Omnichannel will be an interesting opportunity, I think, for retailers, because I think that it's it's retailers that did Omnichannel, well, I can buy something online and I can return it to the store. I really can't do that right now, right? And, and I may not in the future for the next 12 months want to go do that. So how do I handle that process, right? It's all part of the, the customer experience. I think that's an opportunity, certainly for retailers to take advantage of. As we do see things like curbside pickup, I think is another flavor of omni-channel, right? When you think about byline pickup in store and and byline ship from store and those types of things, I think curbside pickup, you know, being able to refresh that is going to be important. And then finally, I I think it, it kind of comes down to how well can I create a complete and beneficial customer experience digitally, mm-hmm. right? How can I, we're, we're seeing technologies being developed, right? Around VR and those types of things to, you know, really enhance the experience that I have as a consumer digitally. How do I replicate what I'm doing in store? I, I remember meeting with a very high-end retailer who has, is well-known for just a superior in-store experience, like white glove handling, curating a look for you, all those types of things. And and they really strived and actually leveraging AI to say, how can we replicate? I think they would call like George, who was like, you know, the, the person working in the store, yeah. the consultant, the consultant in the store. How do we replicate George online? And how do we create that same white glove experience? How do I start to predict what you as a consumer and a customer wants? How do I start to proactively offer that to you, right? And, and so I think that's an area where retail will advance and start to, again, leverage those who invest in AI and newer technologies now 
we'll be in a better position to take advantage of that going forward. Definitely. I know I read a stat somewhere that in March, Shopify, they allowed its customers to start adding 3D models to its product pages. Yes. And that found that conversion rates increased by 250%. So it just shows that that digital experience and how important it is to make sure that you are evolving and adapting and making it more seamless for, for the customer and how that impacts your bottom line ultimately. So we know from experience that market intelligence increases revenue by over 8%. So why do retailers need market intelligence platforms, Jay? Again, I think that everything has been accelerated, right? And I think that if we look, uh, and I think we've actually looked at this, right? Because we have, what, 10 years of historical data that we've collected globally about trends in the market and what has happened to price in the market, discounting in the market, et cetera, what's being introduced into the market at different times. The rate at which new lines, new styles, new trends, new product is introduced far exceeds what it was probably eight years ago, five years ago, three years ago, two years ago. Yeah. The the market as a whole is global and the move to digital makes it even more global and accessing a new market opportunity for retailers. But to capitalize on that, they have to move fast. And I think to move fast, you have to make decisions fast. We all know that accurate, robust data makes that decision-making a more confident process and a more accurate process. And so when you look at a platform like Edited that gives you global real-time data, over 600 million products that we track, right, 90,000 different brands, you can't get access to that data as rapidly and as simplistically that we allow you to do that anywhere. And so if you're going to move fast, having access to that data on your fingertips across the organization, I think is is critical. And especially in today's world and what the next probably three years will present. Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of our retailers using Edited, and I mentioned this before, but looking at categories that are driving the market right now to make up for some of that loss from the pandemic. And I think looking into Edited, you could see body suits as an example had grown. I think it was 153% in Germany. You just see month on month. And there's so much versatility in that. And it's going to sound weird. I think, Grace, you're wearing a bodysuit under your sweater. And I'm wearing a little body under my sweater. So sounds weird why I know that. But it's just an example of how you can identify trends, like you said, Joe, really early on. Absolutely. And I'm sure you, you bought that from one of our customers. Yeah. Um. <laughs> We're very brand loyal here. No, I do. I think like how else, like the example that you mentioned earlier, Diana, of like, when is the loungewear trend going to drop off? We had so many of our customers asking us that because they were seeing such success at the start of the lockdown. That, like, How can you make sure that you are the first one there to make sure you're mitigating any risk you have associated with that? Unless you have real-time data, it's, it's almost impossible to do. So Joe, from everything we've spoken about, what is the one thing that you'd like our listeners to take away from this episode? That you two are fantastic and that they should listen more frequently. They should go online and do reviews and promote this podcast and get their friends and coworkers to listen in because there's a lot to learn here. There's a lot to learn here. We paid him to say that, everybody. No, thank you so much, Joe, for joining us on the podcast today. We've really, really enjoyed it. Mm. 
as a listener of ours, we're here to support you during this challenging time in retail. To access the new era of retail report that we've mentioned, please follow the link in the description. And if you are a customer of Edited, please contact your dedicated account manager and retail strategist, and they'll do everything they can to support you. Sign up to our insider briefing at edited.com, where we'll be keeping you all updated on the latest news and strategies. Thank you for listening to Unedited. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Joe, please make sure you subscribe to keep in the loop with future episodes. You can also tell your friends or family about us. And if you have any further questions, you can get in touch at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. Bye. Bye.